0: All right, Forge, uh, last week's uh, podcast number eight was entitled Put Off, <clears throat> you know, in other words, take off the old and put on the new. And Paul was passionately urging the Colossians, the brothers and sisters, says to unbuckle, take on, to, to take off it like a garment or to slough it off or to discard it. And he was referring to the, um, the deeds of spiritual death, if you will, the immorality, impurity, passion evil desires and greed. He noted that the Colossians had once walked in those things, but now they've been raised up from the waters of baptism to life in Christ. Paul continued to work on inner cleansing. That included the anger, the wrath, the malice, slander, and abusive speech. And then he skips a verse and he adds in lies. And he says... uh, They were also to be dropped. They were to be left behind, not picked up. The new self, the new life in Christ was being updated, if you will, with true knowledge that matched the ways and the expressions of Christ. So today we're going to look at the next passage, if you will, of Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17. But I want to pray first. So, Lord God, we come to this text of scripture that you, by Holy Spirit, breathed out, and cause to come alive. This day, we want to receive from you the teaching and correction that we need. As we prepare ourselves to hear, Lord, we lay aside the momentary pressures on us, even momentary pain, Lord, um, so that we can focus on the scripture and have it minister to us as a body, as a whole, and as individuals. Lord, we acknowledge your authority over this time. In Jesus' name. So here at verse 12, Paul begins this uh, this section with three awesome descriptive words that were a reality of new life in Christ for the Colossians. He says, you are chosen of God, you are holy, and you're beloved. Now those three words were first spoken by God over Israel. And The Colossians, like Israel before them, have been selected out, set apart for God, and loved as only God can love them. And those descriptors were in the Greek perfect tense, which means it's past completed action, present continuous results. So they're constantly being refreshed and renewed as chosen and set apart and loved. And then Paul turns and he says, okay, here's some things for you to put on, Colossians, here's some things for you to put on, forge family. Number one, now this one is supposed to be not a head thing. It's supposed to be a visceral response. This is supposed to be, if you will, a gut response. Okay, it was actually described that way. It's translated in the King James Version as the bowels because they believed at that time that those inner organs were the seat of emotions. Okay? And, and then you know, the Hebrews you know, spoke of it as, as, as a higher level at the heart level. In any case, here, Paul says, The first thing I want you to put on is a visceral reaction of compassion. It's translated, a heart of mercy. It was the Christians who brought mercy and compassion into the culture because the Gentiles basically sent the weak to the wall. They bypassed the sick and the crippled and the elderly, and they would take their own unwanted children and lay them out to be exposed and dehydrated to death. It's the precursor of modern abortion. We don't want you, so we just do away with you. Paul now says to the Colossians, put on a heart of compassion. Next, number two, you put on kindness, which is also translated through the New Testament as goodness. In the Greek word, it's the Greek word krestotes. Now in the Gospels, uh, there's reference to old wine and new wine. Well, old wine was in a wine skin and it was held longer and it was allowed to go through probably a malolactic fermentation. It softened and it was described as krestos. In Greek, it means mellow, soft. When Jesus said to his disciples, uh, take my yoke upon you, that yoke is also crestos. It doesn't gall you. It doesn't chafe you. It's another way to say kindness is goodness that is kind. Okay, the third garment to put on is humility. This speaks of submission to Christ and being humble minded. The fourth garment to wear in the text here is gentleness or meekness. This is a Greek word that's nearly impossible to translate in Greek because the Greeks didn't believe in it. Both the Greeks and the Romans basically wanted to strut their stuff. And yet here comes Paul lifts this word out of the culture and he says this word speaks of gentleness that's considerate. It's it's someone who's willing to take less than their due. James 1, 21, the same verb, same word is used by, by James and is translated teachable. There's a softness about you and a willingness to say, oh, I know that. Okay, got it. The fifth garment, if you will, is patience. And it speaks of a state of not being provoked to the, by those who would damage you in any way, it means to be long suffering. Chrysostom, who was one of the early church uh, fathers, church fathers, he said, patience is the grace of the man who could revenge himself and does not. And number six here is a garment that says, bear with one another continuously. And it's a, it's a holding yourself to, to you get a hold of yourself, you grip yourself to remain in a difficult relationship, a difficult conversation. See, it may be too strong a statement to say that only Christians can do that. Obviously, there's therapists who deal long-term with difficult people, but they don't love them. Certainly, uh, the way that this works, Paul says, is yeah, be continuously forgiving one another, and that shows off your inner gracious, benevolent, kind new self in Christ to grant forgiveness to someone who's wounded you, you know, by a look, by a uh, you know, a gesture, by a, a, a you know, a face that just goes, "Nah, no way." You know, or someone who has a complaint against you that is empty. Now, it is possible possible as a Christian to display kindness or humility, or gentleness, or patience, or maybe even forgiveness. But the high risk is that you end up sounding like a, a clanging gong and a tinkling cymbal. If you remember, First Corinthians 13 says, you've got to have the love of God to make that work. <clears throat> this agape love, this love that is undeserved, it's unearned, maybe not even wanted, but it's freely given. Verse 14 is best translated by saying, and upon all these things, on top of these things. Okay, so that you have six garments, and here comes more. Okay? This one is <clears throat> the divine love of God, the agape love, is love that binds all those other garments in such a way that when we act or speak, it looks like and sounds like Christ himself is speaking, acting. It binds all graces and virtues into a perfect union, a completeness. Verse 15 is a command, and, and it's a command that goes to the Colossians, and it is a command that comes here to Forge church. It says, quote, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. So the Greek word here for rule is the word for umpire. Someone who's a, a judge who's standing watching the competition and, and he could raise the flag and call foul. You know, or he could say, no, that's a legitimate performance. So uh, in that case, this person who is the umpire listens carefully, watches diligently, makes the right decision over actions, motives, plans, impulses, and reasons. Now the peace of Christ is the result Of the umpire's final say. John 14, 27 says this. This is in the upper room discourse. Jesus wants his disciples to hear this as he's preparing to step away from them and go to the cross. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let your heart be troubled, not let not your heart be troubled. Not, let it not be fearful. So it's, it is a personal peace that is that is spread on us. It, it rises up inside of us. It is the presence of the Lord that it, that fills us with this peace. And in some senses, it's like a perfume. Okay. A year ago, I got three phone calls from a man in San Francisco I've never met yet. And uh, I did not know him when he called. He'd been referred to me by, uh, by a friend. And uh, he was in high dudgeon. He was just rawr, on the phone. And um, what had happened was he was involved with a ministry in San Francisco that does outreaches to street fairs. So, you know, they go and they have a tent or a place or a table or something. Like that. they hand out things. They talk to people. They counsel with people. They pray for people. So it was determined by the ministry that they needed a tent to set up at this street fair to have a legitimate presence and a place to rest and a place to invite people in to sit down and be prayed for. And so this man had responded. He took out his checkbook. He wrote a check for the whole amount by that tent. Time passes. The the street fair came and went, and no tent was ever put up. And he was just... He was just, what happened? Well, the, the, the truth of the events is that the, that group went to get a permit to set their tent up in the street fair, and it wasn't issued. They didn't get the permit, so they didn't buy the tent. But this man was very frustrated because they used the money for something else. And he, he called on the phone three times, and he was down to the point of saying he wanted the district attorney of the city of San Francisco to do a forensic um, audit on the ministry because this was just wrong to be, for the church to be doing this for, for ministries to be doing this and finally when he wound himself down after three phone calls he, uh, he sort of said well I would, he wanted my wisdom on the matter and I went oh <laughs> I prayed quickly and then I asked him if he would be at peace if that ministry were to give him back all of his money his response was, you know, I could hear him just sort of hyperventilating on the phone. And then there was quiet, and then he, you know, he settled down. And finally, he answered, he says, yes. It wasn't a very happy yes, but it was a yes. And that's what the ministry in San Francisco was moved to do. They gave all the money back, and their part of this accusation, craziness, and stuff like that. They were restored. They felt peaceful about it. I'm not sure he has. It so there's there's a modicum of peace that has been restored. Heard he's still sort of around the city. Okay. Now this personal peace that we're called to in Christ, you know, when it's loosed in us, it's supposed to be for individuals and for the whole body. Okay? For the for the ecclesia, for the church. Both have to work at the same time or you know Consecutively, for it to be legitimate peace of Christ. Can't just have an individual who goes, oh, I feel so much better. And the rest of the body is going, oh, I can't believe that happened. You know, and they're walking around bumping heads or vice versa. You know, the peace or the ministry, it comes to the ministry or the church and they go, oh, thank you, Lord. Whew. And the individual doesn't have that. So it takes both. The result is peace ruling in all hearts. okay. And when that happens, there's an overflow of thanksgiving. Verse 16, there's another command. Now, these, these are, these are, these are uh, not, uh, they are imperatives, but they're softened imperatives. And it's let this happen or allow this to be in your case. But people who hear it, they know exactly where Paul's going. And so they go, oh, got it. Okay, this is another order here. And, and then for the Colossians and for we forge people, we are to allow the word of Christ to be permanently Completely at home within us, to dwell within us, to settle down, to be at, be at peace within us. Certainly, when you speak about the, the Word of Christ, you, you, the Gospels have a have a fit there. But since the Word of God was breathed out by Holy Spirit through the writers and caused to come alive permanently, all of Scripture needs to be settled within us, because. That lets you discern what's really going on now Janice you mentioned earlier the charge uh, excuse me the um, the fines you know the finders fee if you will for turning in a Christian a, a secret Christian in China that the the whistleblower gets fifteen hundred us dollars okay what the communist church a uh, communist uh, government is doing is they are editing the scriptures to produce a copy of the Bible that lines up with the Communist Party values. So we need to pray for brothers and sisters in China that when this new version of Communist Chinese scripture, if you will, is released, the Word of God within them, the Word of God within us, you read it and you go, "That's not God." And they know and they know why, because the, the truth of the Lord is in their hearts. Now, Note that this is not just the word among us. I've been in Bible studies. I've been in churches. I've been in conferences and meetings, you know, stadiums full of of Scripture and discussion and small groups. But there's times when you step back and you go, this feels like Scripture is loosed among us, but it isn't being very well received. And what, what Paul is saying here is that word of God is to be in us. So, then Paul qualifies what that in us looks like. It's to be seen with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. So, okay, wisdom and teaching, we got that pretty well. So, what is this admonishing each other's stuff? So, let me commend to you that I think, me personally, I think admonishing is not done to someone across a crowded room. Joe! You know, and you let it fly. Okay? This is done face to face. This is done with an arm on somebody. This is done gently. Maybe with their hand their face in your hands. Okay? And it is it is a combination package here. With physical touch with personal relationship, it means to warn and encourage and correct as a package. Now it's really easy to warn and correct. Right? Boy, they got it wrong. You know, (laughs) I can fix that. It's the encouragement that comes in here that helps us to redirect and cleanse and remind us each other. And my, my take on that is it's to be done face to face. Okay. Now, some of you are really beloved friends. I mean, I could see admonishing happening between Jen and Becca. Okay. Over the phone. Even, or or with a video chat thing, or even with email, okay? <laughs> you know, but the, the more personal, the better. But you could you could pick up a phone and say, you know, I heard something, and I think you ought to take this into account, and would you pray? You know, and, and that kind of admonishing works fine between those who love each other already. If you don't love somebody already, and you're in a tight relationship, let's do it face-to-face. Let's do it, you know, gently and face-to-face. <clears throat> and then Paul says... Uh, Paul could do this is because he knows his audiences as he had been there, done that. He, he is spiritually present with them and he, he senses by Holy Spirit what 's really going on and he himself has Holy Spirit given apostolic authority, working as he writes and as he listens and he corresponds back and forth. Now, how are we to have all wisdom and teaching? An admonishment applied and modeled. And Paul comes right back and says, Okay, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Vincent is a scholar that I read periodically. And he says that the early church used rhymes and poetic verse to help teach in gatherings. Because they could build it into somebody's head and it would run around all week long. Da 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 No, the iambic pentameter pentameter or whatever it is. That they would get that principle, they'd get that scripture, and they would they could self rehearse all week long. And they used that to help in teach teaching in those gatherings. Now Charlotte Mason, one of Jan's best friends, who's passed away, in her writings, she had nearly produced an entire New Testament in poetic verse. She'd taken the word of God and had written poetry with it. We have retained the singing part of our legacy, if you will, of our heritage. Now, in the late 1960s and 70s, Janice and I remember when when you came to church and you sang, it was to organ... And piano. And um, and there you know, the, the there were Sunday night song services. You'd come in and they'd say, Sing number four twenty-two, sing number twenty-three, please sing one sixteen. And so the people would bounce around and they would they would sing hymns, you know, joyously, openly, etc. Now the the uh, the seventies happened, the early start the start of the, the Jesus movement, and all of a sudden worship was, was uh being led by someone with a guitar and a band behind them, and they sang choruses. Now the older generation had sacrificed to buy that organ. You know, and, and they put a Bosendorfer up on the on the platform and they loved the sound of that thing. And and so for a guitar to lead songs and hymns and spiritual songs, psalms, that, that just didn't sit well with them at all. But the newer generation went, oh yeah man, let's do it that way. Okay, the rising generation shifted to spiritual songs. Now, both of them have their place. I'm sure you've listened to uh, Forge worship leaders here that they'll start out with a hymn and bridge to a spiritual song and then they'll go back and finish with the hymn. That's not just them. There are other writers who have brought in the old hymns and, and freshened them up. Again, they both have their place. Now mind you, it is the content, not the soulish music that Paul has in mind here. Remember, all wisdom and teaching and admonishment is the, is the point. Not feel-good stuff. Have you ever been singing and suddenly you burst into tears? Now, the Lord just gets you in the middle of it. Now that might be praise, that might be thanksgiving, again. It might be, it might be conviction. It might be just a remembrance where you kind of go, oh, there, that's the point. That's what I need to remember. You know, quick, write that down. I don't want to forget that for this week, etc. So, you know, the Lord uses that lyrical, passionate, poured out devotion of the heart that's been soaked in scriptures. That's all good stuff. There's a man named Tertullian who was a second century church father. And he wrote about what happens at a Christian love feast, is how they described it. Now, we know that there were no church buildings until the late third century, so people were meet at his time and prior to his time. They would meet in little spaces inside houses, often with no windows, often behind closed doors because persecution was going on, and they could sing softly quietly, and not be heard by the neighbor. So what happened in these love feasts that Tertullian is describing is they brought in first water. Why would they bring in water? Got it. Many of those who are part of the early congregations, if you will, the early gatherings of believers, they were slaves. They were the poorest people. And they had labored all day long doing tough things, hard things. And they arrived not very clean. And they're going to sit close to somebody for the next couple of hours? You need to wash a little bit. So they brought in water. It wasn't just for the hands so that they could eat with clean hands. It was, you know, kind of clean off a little bit, okay? Second, they brought in lights. You ever seen the little pod uh, with a wick in it, The, the olive oil lamps from... 2000 years ago could have been those simple little things you put a little olive oil inside this pot with a wick and you light it and it gave light to a corner and they may have brought a bunch of those in or sconces or torches or got to have a someone to deal with the the smoke from the torches but okay (laughs) so you start with those two things and then Tertullian says each one who comes is invited to sing to God in the presence of the others from his own heart some of us don't have solo quality voices. That's not the point. The point is, each one was invited to lift their voice in key, out of key, you know, growly, gravelly, ah! you've heard, You've heard Lisa sing, woo! You know, you know, over the top, whatever it is, everybody was invited to. Why? Because that let them say how thankful they were, how grateful they were to God who is faithful. Now, solos can be great testimonies and it reveals the indwelling word of God in their heart. But you can't do that if you're not thankful. Verse 17 summarizes this section. It says, in everything, okay, that's whatever, whenever, with whomever, okay, in everything, that includes being alone privately as well. Okay, it says that the guiding word is to do all and to say all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, repeat after me: the guiding word is to do all and to say all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. All right, Lord, bolt that to us. So, Paul continues with be constantly giving thanks through Christ to God the Father. Now, if you've been paying attention through Colossians, this business of giving thanks and being thankful and filled up with thanks to God is the mark that identified the Christians in Colossae and every place else that they go. I want you to remember that immediately prior to these six lovely, six or seven lovely virtues that we, we talked through here, Just prior to that, there were the two lists of actions and attitudes of gross darkness in which the Colossians had formerly walked. Paul doesn't combat evil with a curse. Paul says, you put on Christ. So here, in these six verses that we've looked at today, is a set of garments that we're to put on. We have been chosen of God. We're holy and beloved. We're dressed in compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. We're to bear with those around us in the body. We're to forgive one another, especially those who've wounded us. All those garments are then to be topped, strapped down, (laughs) bolted to us with agape love. We're to keep the peace of Christ in such a way that it has the final say over us. It's like a perfume that wafts through our thankfulness. We are to be settled, soaked in the scriptures, resulting in a flow of all wisdom, teaching, encouragement, and correction, all to build up, to focus, to remind, and to cleanse us. Out of us is to flow songs and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving. I believe that this list, this amazing list of garments, of virtue and character, that clothes, I think they, they are the clothes for the, for the bride of Christ. That's who we are. So after I pray, I'm going to slowly read through this list again. You, you've heard it two or three times already. Some of it's rattling around inside of you. Some of it you've read, the, you've read it. But what we're going to do is sit and put it on us. By faith and in prayer. Um, Some of that will go easy. Some of that probably is not going to go easy at all. And you'll have to stop and you'll go, You're right, Lord. And you take that home and you meditate on it. And by Holy Spirit, you come back dressed, okay, with that virtue of Christ so that His perfume of peace, uh, it flows from you and your heart is filled with His songs. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, You are coming for your bride. We want to be clothed and ready. We want to be singing the praises and songs of welcome. We want to be overflowing in thanksgiving. Get us ready with this little simple contemplative exercise as we put you on as a garment. In Jesus' name, amen.